You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. Today, I have with me a new girlfriend, Tracy Lamori. Tracy is the CEO of Lamori Media and the author of the upcoming book, Get Repped, Build Your Brand with Effective Public and Media Relations. She's a well-known longtime advocate on a myriad of important worldwide issues and an award-winning international publicist working across industries from major entertainment projects to small businesses. Tracy is passionate about amplifying important messages and being a voice for those who most need one. Recognized by media around the world for her 20-year campaign that ultimately helped free an innocent man from death row to her work getting clients major media attention and for her local community work, winner of the first place Platinum Award Hamilton Spectator Reader's Choice for PR 2018, Diamonds 2019. She also won the Marketing Award at the Magnetic Entrepreneur and Author Award 2019 in Toronto. Tracy, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. That all sounds so fancy when you say it. Here's the thing. We can be very fancy and still not so fancy. It's okay. (laughs) We're complicated people, right? And we all mess up. Exactly. It doesn't matter how many accolades you've had, how many letters you have behind your name. We all have wardrobe malfunctions. We all trip and fall. Fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? So I live in Hamilton, which is about 45 minutes outside of Toronto, Canada, which is a huge multicultural city of Canada. And I have two children. One is a 27-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son. I've been married 25 and a half years. And normally I have no pets, but right now my daughter's off doing some activist stuff. So I have inherited her dog and her cat. So I'm a a pet grandma as well oh. right now. So <laughs> I love <it>. <laughs> <laughs> fit all that stuff in as well as working on media like 15, 16 hours a day for probably 32 different clients. It's crazy. I don't know how you keep track of it all, but it sounds like a very exciting life. <laughs> it's fun. Right now it's all stuck here and you know, there's not a lot of travel. But last year yeah. I ended up, I literally had 10 trips with eight clients and one friend to mm-hmm. nine different cities in five countries on four continents, all on business. Wow, that's awesome. That was pretty crazy. That was pretty fancy. But this year, I'm in my, my basement office. This year, you're home in your loungewear. And it's like, oh, the, the brakes got slammed on that fancy life. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at all the pictures of VIP parties in the past. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was fun. Oh, I remember then. <laughs> okay, well, let's go through your rapid fire questions. What was your very first job? Telemarketing, actually, at age 15 for a carpet cleaning company. And it was just a little tiny hole in the wall office above a corner store. But I was good at it. And I got my best friend at the time to come and work with me there too. Oh, so you did like cold calls? Totally cold calls. Oh my gosh, you're so brave. I would never do it now. I wouldn't be that brave now. No way. But at 15, you know, what do you know? They give you a script and you say it. They didn't want anyone to know it was 15 year olds calling for some reason. So we had to make up last names. And like (laughs) Mrs. Patterson. And Mrs. Parkinson, 20 years later, I meet my husband and his last name is Parkinson. So that's kind of funny. There you go. There's your crazy coincidence. There was a time when I had the opportunity to work for a publishing company and they were allowing people to work from home. And this wasn't much longer Mm. after I'd done telemarketing. And it wasn't really, it wasn't cold calling. It was calling their clients. But uh, I ended up working for them for years. And that was kind of my intro into realizing I don't ever want to go and work in an office again, even though I had an employer Mm. there. 
I had the you know autonomy to set my own hours and to work at home. I'm 50 now, and I haven't had to work in an office you know since I was 25. And I didn't start my my own company till 10 years ago. But in between those times, I had always clients. I guess I thought of them as jobs, you know, bosses. But they were really just client, you know, one single client at a time in telemarketing or in sales and in marketing. And then I segued that at the same time I was doing human rights work and learning to write a press release and all that stuff to help get that guy off death row that you mentioned, who's now free and, you know, was on a panel with Ja Rule and Naughty by Nature last week talking about his new song. So that's pretty epic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I learned how to write a press release to get the word out about human rights stuff. Never, ever thought about PR. Didn't know what a publicist was beyond, you know, television. So my career trajectory was just marketing and sales and crap like that. But I had learned how to very effectively be a media spokesperson through human rights work. Right. Because it was something you were totally passionate about and you just figured it out. Yeah. And then at some point I realized 10 years in, I'm like, wait a minute. These are marketable skills. (laughs) I was still doing marketing, you know, from home. One day I literally decided, you know what? I don't want to make 20 calls an hour anymore. Nope. And it was literally that same hour. It just hit me. Why aren't you selling, getting people in media? And so then I went mm-hmm. on to some, you know, little freelance sites and just put my little window up and, you know, started doing work for really, really cheap until I could get a few referrals. Five years ago, I started my business as a general partnership with my husband and the success is crazy. I'm literally internationally quoted. I'm on TV in Australia the other day and I didn't go to school for any of this, but I'm actually really super proud of that. Yeah, you taught, you're you're basically self-taught. And those lessons that you learn in the real world are so much more applicable a lot of times than anything that you can learn from a classroom or a textbook because you're kind of feeling your way through them and those stick with you so much more. Exactly. Okay, if you could have any celebrity be your best friend, who would you pick? Definitely the biggest single influence in my life that was not a person that I met was John Lennon for sure. At the age of 10 in 1980, which is the year he died, but I was a huge Lennon fan. I still remember speeches of his that he made that said, don't follow leaders, be your own leader. You go out and do something. And if it's cool, we'll follow you. Maybe you have a better idea than me. You know, that was also my first motivation as a dumb fangirl. You know, you look to your idols, right? As a kid, right? His message was go out and be an activist and go marching in peace. And so I did. My first ever march was at 15. You know, that's just part of who I grew up to be. You know, you have the power to do something. And the more I internalize that. Well, I actually did it, right? And then I learned very young, this is the key to every success, that I can actually have an impact. You know, it was in my 20s that I'm all over international news about this guy on death row. And we were on CNN and being interviewed by all these lawyers. And nobody ever once said to us, who do you think you are anyway? Do you even have a law degree? No, nobody ever challenged us on that because we were well presented. We, you know, we knew our We literally learned it online because we cared. Let's get to the embarrassing stuff because this is all too good. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. As you know, the point of this podcast is to share our embarrassing, funny stories so we all feel like we aren't the only fools in town. So (laughs) what do you have for us today? What are some of your not so fancy moments? Actually, four years ago, I'm innocently going to a radio station with a client of mine who's nervous because she's never been on radio before. And so she wanted me to physically come with her in studio. Anyway, we find out that one of the other guests, another segment of the same show they were recording, because it was not live to air, it was recorded, was Mariel Hemingway, who is literally like Hollywood royalty. If you Google her, they literally say Hollywood royalty, you know, <laughs> daughter of generations of Hollywood family, right? Yeah. As well yep. as the writer Hemingway. Anyway, so she comes in and, you know, someone points her out. I'm like, oh, she's like, do you recognize her? And my client is just like dumbfounded and, you know, shaking <laughs> and scared. My client goes to the bathroom. My client comes out from the bathroom. I'm sitting there talking with Mariel Hemingway and her publicist, just chatting, right? No big deal. And then we're just sat, standing there in intimate little conversation, Mariel, me, her publicist, with my client walking towards us. And there's like a foot high curb right there. 
And I literally tripped on nothing and like fell on my butt. Oh no. I didn't just trip. I actually <laughs> fell on the ground. Oh, I'm on the ground. Not my head or like <laughs> torso, thankfully. Yeah. And oh my God, my client looks at me half like she's going to laugh half for her, right? <laughs> I don't remember the other publicist's face, but Mariel Hemingway, she's so gracious. Honestly, you could tell she was so concerned. She bends down like she's a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> oh. And like, oh, are you okay? Like full of concern. Yeah. And I'm literally like, oh yeah, that, you know, you know, they say make an entrance. I totally meant to do that. You'll never forget me now, right? <laughs> She's cracking up. Love it. That's my Hollywood entrance. Yeah, so I made a light great. moment where nobody had to be embarrassed, including me. Yeah. And then your client was probably like, oh, now I feel fine. I, at least I'm not going to fall down in front of a Hollywood superstar. Exactly. All I have to do is talk on radio. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's exactly what I feel like whenever I do something like that in front of a crowd. It's like, well, you are welcome. Now you can feel like you are more coordinated than someone else in the room. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm famous oh, for that, I, I swear. It. And then my other one was Richard Pryor Jr. He's not a client, he's a good friend. The son of Richard Pryor, the you know, the comedian. Yep. Richard Pryor Jr. is also a really skilled, amazing entertainer. He's not like straight comedy, he's more cabaret. And he's also an author and he does a bunch, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, so he had come to do a cabaret performance in Toronto with a client I was working with at the time and he's gay. So we said, you got to come for Toronto pride because it's epic. It's giant. It's killer. It's so cool. And so the night before we were going to do the business stuff, he got to the hotel and I said, okay, I'll come meet you at the hotel and we'll go out to pride, which is the biggest, longest street in Toronto and which is the biggest, longest street in Canada. And you can imagine it's like LA pride. It's like giant, insane lights, music, big party, whatever. So him and I are just walking around. We eat the food. We did a little interview with the local TV person. And somehow as we're talking, he's cracking me up, telling me all these stories, how, about how they always used to call him Top It, because whenever somebody would have a story, he'd have a celebrity version of it, Top It. <laughs> he's yeah. telling me about this, and we're laughing down the street, I'm like, okay, Top It. And, and again, I don't know how, I don't think anything was there, but I take a total tumble. This time I didn't fall like right on my butt. I don't really remember how badly I felt, but he laughed his head off. He's a new friend of like two hours, but we've been friend online for, you know, for a long time. He's laughing his head off. He's like, I wish I had a camera. I wanted to be great for Instagram. I'm like, oh, shut up. And he's still talking about that one. And then I got one more stupid work-related non-celebrity one. My husband won't stop referring to this one. That turkey. I was the, the publicist at the London, Canada Beatles Festival for three years. And so they had a whole bunch of high profile, you know, people that had known the Beatles. And again, I was a huge Beatle sure. fan. So to me, those are celebrities, you know. Anyway, we're sitting at a table with the clients and the one photographer who'd taken pictures of like every famous person you've ever known. Like Bowie's favorite picture of himself was by this photographer. But anyway, so we're, I'm sitting with all these people and nobody's, we're not drinking. This is not alcohol. And we're, we're sitting at a table of like six people in a really nice restaurant. And you know what happened? Somebody spilled a drink, normally me. So it was me. I spilled <laughs> the water on the table. Not, it was sort of embarrassing. Everyone was like, oh, but not a big deal. So we moved to a different table. All six of us. It was that bad. Okay. So it's kind of like, oh man. All right. So now we're sitting at the other table and we all start talking again for 15 minutes and we get new water. And then guess what happens? I did it again. No. Oh my God. <laughs> so they're all, now they're all going, oh my God. And my husband is literally like, he's embarrassed. So he won't stop picking on me for it. Like laughing. And to this day, if there's anything about water or we go sit at a restaurant. So I was like, oh, watch out. Don't put that near Tracy. Tracy's going to christen every table in this place before we're done. <laughs> right? Like it was literally, they moved us to a different table. Then I did it again. I'm like, oh my God. I can't explain it. I'm not drunk. I'm not high. I just no. I don't know. I Honey. apparently can't coordinate. <laughs> oh, God. 
Okay, remind me of the story where you CC'd some people that you didn't mean to CC. That was from the days when I didn't even have my company yet. I just got a couple of clients through that freelance or whatever it was. Yep. The end of the story is she's still my client today, which is hilarious. Oh, Literally awesome. one of the first big jobs I had. And the funny thing is she's a client in the etiquette and civility space. Oh, no. So she's watching you. <laughs> she can't help herself. This is her business. <laughs> Well, it's funny because what I did, even though she wouldn't have realized it, is like hugely bad etiquette in the PR media world, even though she wouldn't have known that, you know. I was sitting down to do whatever the first press release is for her, and I'm all super enthusiastic. It's an amazing release. I've got all these high-profile media people that I've researched and found their personal emails. I'm so green in this that I didn't didn't even realize how terrible it is to even, even, okay, like even if you weren't, even if you BCC it, it's a big, big PR fail because most of the media filters are going to filter out a spam because you've got 30 mm-hmm. emails in there. So that alone would have been a problem where I wouldn't even have known. So I guess it's good that this happened because I learned early on not to do this because I wouldn't <laughs> even have known that half my messages were just going into spam filters if I had done that. But I didn't even do that. I, I didn't even BCC. Oh, my God. I just literally put like 30 email addresses. Number one, they don't want all their email addresses out there. Right. You know, to like 30 competitors and giving them all the same story at the same time, which is not exciting. You know what I mean? If anything, that's a no-no. Because even though we do that in PR, we're looking to see who's going to answer first. But in this case, they all get to see that, that, you know, I'm not making friends with anybody. And some crotchety old reporter, instead of just rolling his eyes and being pissy about it like most would, actually responded. He didn't reply all, thankfully. (laughs) But he just replied and he told me, like, you know, I don't remember his wording, but. He wasn't swearing, but he was basically like, yeah, no, what the hell? Don't do this, dummy. Don't don't do (laughs) this, dummy. Yeah, exactly. So thankfully that he did, because I never did it again. I was a little affronted for a second. Oh, that wasn't nice. But no, really? Thanks. Because he helped you. I learned that on the job. (laughs) I never did it again. Oh, man. I don't even remember who he was. So I probably was so embarrassed. I probably took his name out of my list, too. Yeah. Let's not ever email him again. Yeah. (laughs) And now I've forgotten. So probably I've messaged him again two years ago, you know. He's probably back on the team. But he won't remember either. Either that or my name's you know familiar. And he's like, okay, that's better. Eight years later. <laughs> oh, see, she took my advice. Yes. Good job. <laughs> now you got it. And I'll be like, that's right. Now look at my resume. It didn't hold you back long anyway. No, exactly. Nothing should. That's the lesson. Yeah, exactly. The faster we can laugh and learn and move on, the better off we'll be. All right. Well, now it's time to talk about what you've been loving lately that you think the listeners might love too. What I'm really, really loving right now is part of my origin story that we talked about, which is that guy on death row that I learned to write a press release for in 1999. We found out about him. Basically, there was a site that prisoners could pay for in the early days of the internet saying, I need help. I need a girlfriend, whatever they were looking for. My husband and I had used to do a radio show in Toronto on social justice issues and all kinds of stuff. And we had just recently stopped doing that. So it was the, literally the early days of the internet when it was all World Wide Web. And so we were looking for a forum just to put information out there. So I was making a page that had anti-racist stuff up there and just different issues, the kind of stuff that we were talking about on the radio show. And somehow this page came up with this guy on death row saying he was innocent. And for some reason, my husband and I were like struck by it. And he was like, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm not looking for this. I'm not looking for money. I just need help. It's my only forum to get someone to listen to me. And for some reason, my husband and I were like, well, just how innocent can this guy be? And for some reason, we wrote him a letter. I don't know why to this day. Wow. And he wrote mm-hmm. back with 18 pages on each side, oh. documenting everything with about 
two inches of the court stuff, the most recent stuff that he had at the time, which wasn't even very much, you know, later lawyers got involved pro bono when they were looking for a case of actual innocence and so much more was brought out. But even what he had initially was enough for us to go, wait a minute, whoa, well, what the heck are we supposed to do? We're not lawyers. We don't have any money. We're 28. We're kids that are in our basement in Toronto, basically. But there's this internet thing. So before we even, you know, we were so naive at it, we didn't even wait to ask him for permission to put his legal stuff online, for God's sake. We literally, <laughs> so thank God he wasn't mad. Well, he was desperate, you know. We put this up there. This is how it works. And then I wanted to get people to see it. So how do I tell the news about it? Well, I literally went to the newspaper sites. Now I would say, oh, they won't care. And 90% of them didn't. But you know what? I said it all around the world. 10% of them did. Wow. We got articles in Turkey. It pieces in Europe. Places hard in the States. But here and there, people would hear about it and get involved. We ended up with a core group of like 10 people and made so much noise that by the time these lawyers came around that were looking for a case of factual innocence, which they're like unicorn lawyers. It does not happen, but it happened. <laughs> a team of seven lawyers worked for 17 years to finally prove it. This is just how it works down there. And then we finally got a huge judgment from the judge talking about what we'd been saying for years, which people had said we were crazy about. Why are you spending all this time with this guy on death row? Why do you care? You know, this precedent-setting decision showed that we were right all that time. Mm. And then he was released in 2017. And now all kinds of stuff is developing in terms of compensation for, you know, what happened to him. But that's slow. That's slow. And in the meantime, he was a, he was a recording artist or, you know, about to get a recording contract before he was imprisoned wrongfully. Oh, my gosh. He walked out and literally within a month, he was back in the recording studio recording. And he wasn't just recording because I got chills the first song or two. It was like, oh, my God, this mm. is epic stuff. His first song was called You Said, absolutely epic. You know, then he released another song. And then now this week, everything happening with Black Lives Matter being just in the in the universe, everybody's mind and everything going on, what was happening stateside and the heavy feeling and all that stuff that was going on. So I called up Jimmy one day, just kind of distressed about somebody online that had said something like, oh, why do you care about this? He's not, you know, it's not your president. It's not your country. Why do you care? And this was an activist who gets a death penalty who certainly loved my help for 20 years. So I was saying something like, oh, suddenly when you don't agree with what I'm saying, it's like, shut up and get back to Canada. We're talking about a human rights issue. Anyway, I'd call Jimmy up just saying, hey, what's wrong with America with people being so racially divided? And we got into a really emotional conversation that we're both like sad about it and mad about it, not with each other, but just about the world. And then he wrote this song. I had no idea. And two weeks later, he plays this epic song for us, which is what he was playing, you know, with Ja Rule and Naughty by Nature, because Consuela Vanderbilt, they call her the Rebel Vanderbilt, the musician, put on a big platform where she was trying to get this out there for people to see it. He wrote a song and it's, it's going to be released on the 28th in three days. I hate the skin I'm in. And the hashtag mm. is beautiful, beautiful black skin about what's going on, race in America. So the song is going to be on iTunes and everything, and it's called Hate the Skin I Made. It's truly epic. It is like an anthem. It's not angry. It's about change. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I'm loving that. And along those same themes, you know, again, this is a client I work with, but these I, I work with people because I love these messages. Jimmy's a friend, not a paid client, you know. But Bolu, who's a 13-year-old girl who was inspired again by looking at the world, Black Lives Matter, our Aboriginal issues that we have here in Canada. And she wrote a song called Make It Right that starts... 2020, what have you become? Why are people mm. so cool? That's epic too. I mean, so basically I'm Amazing. just honored to be presenting. Those truly are the things that I'm loving right now. And another song called Good Vibes by Count Classy, which is, you know, on the cannabis side, but he's also a groundbreaking gay hip-hop artist who is breaking barriers that still exist in homophobia and hip-hop. I love all these things that give me chills, creative art stuff that makes a difference and changes the world.
You have created a life for yourself where you can support yourself by standing behind the things that you love and you think the world needs to see. That's amazing. Awesome. I love it. But yet I still can't get through a dinner without spilling water. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody would like you if you were perfect, Tracy. You're easing your clients' nervousness left and right. I, I like it. that. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It's really something people, oh, I've heard that all before, but it's really true. People really, really need to internalize believe in yourself. You can do crazy. Everyone looks at people who've done all this stuff. And, you know, and I used to do it too, until I started working with so many of these power people that I admire. And I see they're just like me in the same way that I'm one of these people, other people admire. Yeah. Everybody started somewhere, right? Yeah. And the only key difference is the people that succeed don't stop and they really believe Mm. in themselves. A lot of people will tell you, you can't because they can't. I've had people mm-hmm. say before, like in our 20s, now they don't say it so much. But I remember people <laughs> saying, you really think you can change the world? Nobody can change, you can't change the world. I remember my husband saying to somebody and saying, maybe you can't, but I already mm-hmm. have and mm-hmm. I will again. I mean, not the entire world, not everything. But you make a difference. But I can change a lot for somebody. You just gave me goosebumps. Yeah, right? I love it. Well, that's the answer to anybody who says you can't change the world. Maybe you can't or you think you can't, but I know I can because I have and I will. And once you realize you can too, you will too. That's literally all it is. I love it because you're not only putting someone in their place, you're actually calling them up. You're calling them higher saying, why do you think you can't? I can and so can you. Yeah, exactly. The message should never be arrogant. I was actually quoted recently in the difference between arrogance and confidence in terms of celebrity, but I've actually seen it more in terms of people, entrepreneurs in the business world than an actual celebrity. Okay. So arrogance is like, it comes from a small place. You need to be recognized. You need to be applied. And you're mad when you're not the smartest one in the room. But confidence is different. Confidence is like, yeah, you know, you're as good or equally as good as anybody else there. You're not saying you're better. You're not saying you should be esteemed. You don't want people to applaud you, but you want a seat at the table because you know you deserve to be there because you're just as good as anybody else there. And everybody okay. listening here is too. And if they're not, Well, then they just have a few little things that they need to understand about the scene or don't have to know before they can actually get a seat at the table. But once you've done the homework, for sure, you demand a place and you get it. Yep. I love it. So arrogance is the opposite of humility, but confidence and humility can exist simultaneously. Absolutely. Part of being confident is being humble. Absolutely. I love the way you just put that. That's that's beautiful. But exactly. It's part of being confident. Is when people come up to you and they will, every time someone says, you're awesome, every time I'm like, no, you are. And they go, ha ha, you just say that. No, I'm not just saying that. Sure, I'm awesome, but you are too. Don't just look at other people and think they are. Everyone really is. It's just a matter of what you shine your light on, what you use more of. What is one surprising thing about you no one would know just by looking? That I'm the successful person that I am, really. When I get into an Uber and stuff, nobody would imagine. I got bright red, crazy hair. And sometimes <laughs> if, if I go to a, you know, like I'm going to an event, I'm dressed to the nines or whatever. But I go to, go to the corner store, I might just be wearing whatever little dress. And my hair is bright red. Like, you know, you could easily discount me. Or my husband has beautiful, long rocker boy curls at 50. People regularly underestimate me. My reputation is such that now that I barely ever meet people who don't already know who I am in, in the professional world. Because if I'm going somewhere professional, mm-hmm. they already know me. And they're already like, oh, Tracy, I... I I can't wait to work with you. Oh my God, you're so awesome. But if, if I was to go into a group of business people, a big room of business people who don't have any idea who I am, 
the first thing they're going to say is, who's the fat girl with the bright red hair? Do you know what you can do with that? Anybody who discounts you based on your appearance, that's a self-screener right there. You don't want to work with that person anyway. Exactly. They probably can't afford me anyway. Ah, I remember when I was in Italy in 1991 being stunned by the fact because I was a punk in those days. I'd never seen before hugely fashionable women who were clearly wearing like high fashion clothes and had big jobs. And they had bright red hair and blue hair. Never saw anything like it. I was like, wow, you can be professional and still do that. And still express yourself individually like that. Amazing. And now it's my calling card. People notice it. People know me by it. They call me Mama Fire on my clients in a positive way. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, tell my listeners where they can find you. TracyLamori.com, which Mm -hmm. just goes to Instagram right now because I'm working on putting all the stuff I'm talking about onto my page because it's done done so much in such a short period of time that my website hadn't caught up with me. So it's doing that now. T-R-A-C-Y-L-A-M-O-U-R-I-E.com or Tracy Lamori on Facebook where I live. I live there. And then uh, (laughs) Instagram, Tracy Lamori PR Media. Excellent. Tracy, thank you so much for being with me today. You have been so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this one. This one is such a great concept. I can't wait to hear it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast this week. Wasn't Tracy fascinating? She is just so full of interesting stories and so easy to laugh, and she was just so much fun. Make sure you check out the show notes for today's episode at fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 73. I am going to link to a Rolling Stone article about the man that was falsely accused in prison for 25 years, Jimmy Dennis. So make sure you see the show notes for that. I'm also going to link to Bolu's song, Make It Right, and to Jimmy Dennis's song, Hate the Skin I'm In, as well as all the places where you can find Tracy online. Thursday on the show, we have Miranda Bennett, otherwise known as Mrs. Mediocre Mom. She is so much fun. We laughed our heads off. And we also went really deep in talking about her history with postpartum depression. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to the podcast so new episodes pop into your feed each week. And if you want to tell your not-so-fancy moment, go to FancyFreePodcast.com, click the big red button, record your imperfect, unfancy voice memo for me. I'll polish it up on my end, and you just might be featured on the next episode. And if you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join the Fancy Free Facebook group. It's our private little slice of the internet. The question of the week this week is, what was your first job? I would love it if you would follow the Fancy Free Podcast on Instagram and tell some girlfriends about the show. Have a wonderful week. And remember, no one is as fancy as they look.